Welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship, where we are all about the glory of God and the good of His people. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and we pray that it is a blessing to you, that it builds up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, we actually have some special guests with us this morning. Uh, Matt and Esther Bullock from Germany. We were with them late last year, serving with them, a team of us, and uh, so excited to have them here with us. Matt actually was begging me this morning to come up here and preach, and I fought him off, and I just said, no, this is my turn. It's my turn. I was away last week. But I prayed about it, and Matt, if you want to, you can come on up. No, I'm just kidding. No way. I, I'm not giving this up. Oh, we have the opportunity to be together here and dive into God's Word, and there is nothing, nothing better than that. Acts chapter 20, 17 to 24. I don't know if Matt was there, but I was up at a, a college retreat up at Thousand Pines Christian Conference Center. There were about two or three dozen of us from Cornerstone Bible Church, and we were listening to a professor of mine from the university that I was going to, and he was speaking from the Gospel of Mark. And I was blown away. This guy approached God's Word with, with such an incredible like sensitivity and humility and gentleness and, and there was an honesty and authenticity, a very a realness about it. it was, there was nothing showy whatsoever. And, and, and then there was this really keen, deep sense that I got from him that, that he actually cared about us, college students. And I was so impressed by, by this man and this message that it led me to do something that, that I just don't do. And that is go up and speak to the speaker after they've spoken. I don't do that. And I went up to him, and I, and I said something humiliating like, like this. It wasn't exactly this, but it was like this. How can I be a guy like you? <laughs> we've, we've all had people, haven't we, that we've looked up to, that we've admired. We've identified something in them that, that we appreciate, that is admirable. Maybe it's a, a certain quality, it's a characteristic, it's a skill that they have. And we say, I want to be like that someday. But as we watch them, and as we look at their life, we inevitably come to this point where we go, you know, I, I wanted to be like him or like her. And uh, on second thought, <laughs> now that I know more about them, not so much. But you know, that's the reality, isn't it, of, of looking up to anyone who has ever lived in this life. Uh, apart from Jesus, everyone is going to disappoint us. And everyone is going to, at one point or another, have their guard down and expose some of their flaws. And the skeptic might be tempted to say, you know what, I, I'm done with that. I'm just not, just going to be me now. I'm not going to look up to anyone else. I'm not going to admire anyone else because I know they're all a mess. And at the same time, we can also uh, adopt a spirit of skepticism and say, you know what, it's useless for me to try to be an example to anybody else because, you know, when it comes down to it, it's just a matter of time before they find out something about me and they realize that I'm just, I'm just a hypocrite or I am, I am flawed or I'm not so much super as I am just human. 
And here's something important for us to grab hold of this morning, and that is that whether we are aware of it or not, whether we wish it or not, each one of us is a living example to someone else, to someone else. And more importantly, if Christ is in us and is even now working, doing that transforming work of sanctification, urging us, molding us on towards more Christ-likeness, it's important for us to know that even in this state, right here, right now, flaws, warts, and all, we can actually be used by God to be a helpful example to others. And as we look at Acts 20, 17 to 24, we're drawn to consider what it looks like to lead others by example. And we're going to look at Paul's example to others, and we're going to see that it's not so much that he's presenting us with five points for how to do ministry. He's not presenting to us a particular model for having success in the Christian life. One pastor actually wrote, you know, if Paul were alive, he would be the most sought after, most mimicked church growth expert of them all. People are always trying to look for the, the models out there, the secrets to success. That's not what we get here. But what we do get is authenticity. What we do get is, is character. And what we do get is conviction. This is not about strategy. This is about being a Christian. This is about the kind of example that we need to follow, the kind of person that we, you and I, need to seek to be. Verse 17 says this, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, this is Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, if you remember back from last week, Paul decided to set sail past the city of Ephesus. And some of us may have been scratching our heads going, Paul, what, you don't care about these people anymore? Did you spend too much time with them already? Was three years too much? And you just say, yeah, I'm not going there. I'm done with these people. No, that is not the case at all. He doesn't he, he doesn't not care about them, to use a double negative. He's spent those three years pouring into them. He loves these people dearly. And now we have evidence that he actually really does care for them because he's calling them now to join him there in Miletus. He's on his way to the city of Jerusalem. He's very anxious to get there. But he knows that when he is there, it's going to set off a chain of events that is going to be bringing the very real possibility that he may never see these people again. And so what he's about to share with them is rather important. Have you ever been invited to a mandatory meeting? <laughs> Usually it's mandatory because something very important is going to be announced there or going to be discussed there. And that is the nature of what is going on here. I don't know if he said, hey, this is mandatory. You better get over here real quick. But certainly, as we start to read what he is about to say, the level of importance is very, very, very high. Who are the people that have been invited? They're the elders. Elders? What? What is this elders stuff? You might recall that the Bible actually has three descriptive words for this group of people. 
They're described as overseers. It speaks to their, their function in the life of the church. They, they oversee things. They're also described as pastors, which gives them uh, insight into what their, their role is, this role of shepherding and feeding the flock. Finally, they're called elders. That points to the spiritual maturity that they are called to exemplify to the church. Elders are those who are called to lead. They're called to teach, teach, feed. They're also called to set the example for what it looks like to be a Christian. Not a perfect Christian, but a sincere and genuine Christian. That last one, of course, that, that elder description is why the Bible gives so much attention to the qualifications of elders. And we see that in Timothy and Titus. There are qualifications for them to be eligible to serve as elders. So these men from Ephesus, they are in that role. They're responsible, aren't they, for caring for the believers that are now in this city of Ephesus where Paul um, planted this church. Just as Paul had spent a great deal of time investing in them, three years investing in them, building them up, training them, preparing for them, now they're pouring into the lives of others. They're the mentors, the church, they're the mentees, but now they're on their way to Miletus. And now the role all of a sudden shifts again. The elders, the mentors, are now in a position to listen and to learn and to follow once again. What is it that they're going to hear? What is it that Paul wants them to see? What does God want them to learn? Three things, three things that Paul is going to direct them to that were so important for them to emulate. And these three things, I believe, are characteristics that you and I should desire in our lives as well. And the first is, this word authenticity. I know it's a buzzword. I know it, but it's, it's real. Verse 18 says, And when they came to him, he said, You know yourselves how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Notice he says, You know. You know, you, you caught that, right? They already know. You know. I wasn't playing any games when, when I was with you. I wasn't, I wasn't putting on a masquerade. I wasn't putting on a show. No, you saw me. You are witness to how I lived when I was with you. What did they see when they were with him? Well, they saw how he lived. And, and not just part of the time, the whole time, the entire time he was with them, Paul says, you, you saw me. Not only did they see him, verse 20 says, that they, they heard what he had to say. They saw him, they heard what he had to say. Paul's life among them, it was exposed. It, it was transparent. It was evident. And it wasn't just the parts that were all cleaned up and all shiny and, and, and glittery. No, 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 no. He says, I, I, I let you see. He let them see, yeah, the easy moments, if there were any easy moments, but then he also let them see the difficult ones, the, the really messy ones. My family and I have been watching this History Channel show where they take 10 people and they drop them off in the wilderness somewhere and they say, go survive and film yourself doing it. And these people, they set up tripods and they have GoPros and they have all, this whole gear set up and they film themselves surviving in the wild 
And it is wild to me what it is that they film. Because these people, they're starving, they're wasting away, they are, they are scared to death at night, scared of bears, scared of wolverines, they are it's sometimes sick, and it's just gross. At other times, they're, they're freaking out, and I tell my family this over and over again. You know, if I was on that show, there is no way I would film myself doing those things. I'm turning that camera off. I'm going to make everyone else see, think that I am just living the dream here. I am the wilderness man, and I am conquering this thing. Those bears are afraid of me, let me tell you. That's, that's not Paul, though. He says, I, I, I filmed everything. Everything here is for, for you. It's, it's all exposed. I, I lived among you, and I gave you a picture of what it looks like to be a genuine and authentic Christian, what it looks like to trust in Jesus in the desperate heartbreaking moments. He showed them, didn't he, what it was like to, to feel broken and that that's okay. What it's like to feel sorrow, to, to, to be a person who has no one else to rely on but, but God himself as the world comes knocking on his door wanting to have his head. And he also shows them what it looks like to just, just humbly serve. This is, this is I, I, nothing flashy here. I'm, just, I'm, I'm here serving with you. At times, I'm, I'm, I'm making tents with you. I'm serving in the midst of it all. What a priceless view he gave them through this window into his life. Have you ever looked at someone, maybe a Christian, and, and, and you said, wow, they have got it all together. Look how shiny that life is. Look at that, that perfect the perfect white smile. It's just like the little ding. Every, the perfect wife, the perfect family. They've got it all together. The clothes, the get up, the, the things that come out of their mouth. It's just, it's just spectacular. That's not very helpful, is it? It's not very helpful at all. That's because whatever facade you're seeing there is just a facade. And it's a false view of what it looks like to be a Christian. It leads us to think that maybe if, if we were just a little bit more spiritual, honey, if we just give a little bit more to the, their, their ministry, or we just try harder, then, then we're going to reach some po point in our lives where we're going to make it and reside on easy street, and everything is just going to work out for us. And then we're, you know, everyone's going to look at us and they're going to say, yeah, see, see, I need to trust God too because I want to be like those people. We could be the example. Wouldn't that be great? We'd finally arrive. No, that's false. Have you heard of masking up? It's this weird term that uh, has been around. You, you might be familiar with that, that age-old Christian practice where you get all dolled up and, and you put on this good, good Christian mask right before you step out of the car. You don't have to do it until right until you step out of that car. It, it, it could be loud in there. You could be arguing. I mean, you could be foaming at the mouth, but you, you open the door and the mask comes on, right? You know what that's like. That's not authentic. It's not the way we really are. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with striving after Christ's likeness. 
striving after Christ, transform my life. May I look just like you. Yes, I want, when I come to church, I want them to see Jesus in me. I want them to see someone who is just is, is humble and giving and loving, and, and, and they see the growth that's trans, transpiring in my life. Yeah, I want, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're content only to drape ourselves with the facade when we're with other Christians, and then when we get back in the car and go home, it all just starts hanging out. <laughs> and we do that at home or at work or at school. We've got a serious problem. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody just be fake and phony like that? Well, <laughs> you don't have to have a master's in psychology or sociology to know. It's because we all know that when you live authentically and you live transparently, well, you open yourself up to all kinds of critique and criticism, don't you? You too. This is a price you pay when you allow the world a ringside seat into your life. And I suppose it's one of the reasons that it might be hard for some people to, to join a community group. Because when you join a community group here at Bethany, well, then you're inviting people to have a look into your life and actually say something to you about it. <laughs> that's some risky business. But that's also, of course, where you get put on the fast track to growth in your spiritual walk with the Lord, isn't it? It's one of the best ways to get people challenging you and praying for you in deeply and meaningful ways. But also not insignificant is the fact that it allows you to be a living example of what it looks like to authentically wrestle and strive and agonize for Christ's likeness in your life and in the life of your family. Yes, there's a risk to living transparency. Yes, there is a vulnerability to living authentically. But you know, Paul said he had, a, he had the secret to it. He had a secret weapon when it came to this, I, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to live freely with you, you other believers here. And that secret weapon was found in the reality that the only one he cared about pleasing was God. As far as he was concerned, there was one person and one person alone that he was living for. And it wasn't, it wasn't Peter it wasn't John, it wasn't Barnabas, it wasn't Silas, it wasn't Timothy, it wasn't even himself. No, Paul was living for Jesus, Jesus alone. Romans 1.1, he, he opens up saying, hey, I'm, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm a bond servant. He, he's everything to me. I, I, it's, as far as I'm concerned, my, I'm, I'm not even here. I, I mean, I'm just here for him. That's what it's all about. And the only one I care about is, is, what, is him and what he thinks of me. In Galatians 1.10, he said, he asks the Galatians, he says, Am I now seeking the approval of, of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The logic is, of course, that in following Christ, you're not going to be a pleaser of people. And that's because to serve Christ means that you've got to go around telling people that they stink. They stink. They're the worst. They're lost. They're dead. And they're decaying in darkness. If, if you're going to tell people about Jesus, 
then you've got to tell people why they need Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul makes it clear, you know, it, it doesn't matter what kind of judgments people make about him. He says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Some people might go, well, that's really arrogant, Paul. Like, you're just above everybody else. You just, you, you don't care what any people think. There are people like that out there. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. And then you go, wait a second, what's going on here? Why, Paul? Why don't you judge yourself? Why do you care what people think? Why don't you worry about the conclusions that they reach or whether or not they like you or dislike you? And he replies, because it is the Lord who judges me. He's my master. He is my judge. He's the only one that I care about impressing. Friends, I think that one of the biggest reasons that you and I fail to live open and authentic and transparent lives is because we're just too afraid of what other people think and not nearly concerned enough with what God thinks. And I'm saying this to you as one who is right there. God is the one who examines our hearts. Paul writes that in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. He's the one and the only one that we should care about impressing. And I don't think he's very impressed most of the time. Living through the, the approval of others, that's just going to bring hurt. It's going to bring disappointment. It's going to bring discouragement. More than that, it prevents us from showing what it really looks like to live for Jesus. We do well to listen to the words of Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of man, it lays a snare. You care about what people think, that's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Paul gave these elders an example of what it looked like to live authentically as a servant of Jesus. Secondly, he exemplifies this incredible character. So he showed them a life lived out in service to Jesus, fully exposed, transparent. He also showed them his uncompromising commitment to proclaiming the whole truth of God's word. There wasn't in any way he was going to let anybody prevent him from speaking what people needed to hear. Verse 20, Paul continues and basically says, you know, the you know continues. You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And someone says, well, what's so impressive about that? So you, you spoke what you needed to speak. Well, what's so impressive about this is that it is the very message that he is proclaiming that gets him into all the trouble he gets into. It's what got him run out of town. It's what got him beaten with rods. It's what got him locked in prison with his hands and his feet in stocks. It's what made him the laughing stock on that hilltop in Athens. It's what left him beaten up by those fiercely flung rocks. People thought, he's bleeding, he's battered, he must be dead. All for preaching the truth. 
In 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says, preaching Jesus, you know, it's not the thing that you want to do if you want to make people happy. No, he says, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It trips them up. And it's just folly to everybody else. Folly to the Gentiles. People don't want to hear this stuff. That's a reality that Christians need to embrace. People do not want to hear this stuff. Hearts turned away from their maker that go their own way and want to be free to do whatever they want. This is like poison to them. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into myths. Let me ask you something. That's a hard question for me to ask myself. Has there been a time where you tempered what you knew to be the truth just to keep people feeling good? Or just to keep you from feeling uncomfortable? Have you avoided certain topics to keep the peace? Or maybe to prevent someone from thinking poorly of you? Now, that may be all well and good when it comes to certain topics, right? Uh, Maybe that's the right thing to do when it comes to conversations about politics or about masking up or about vaccines. Or if you're in a conversation with one of my brothers, you avoid the subject of Star Wars or Sylvester Stallone movies. You just, you know, don't go there because it's going to get ugly. But the example Paul sets for these elders here was one of unshakable character and integrity when it came to his commitment to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about Jesus. How many pastors, how how many Christians today are curbing what they say about God, what they say about his creation, what they say about humanity and and how God designed human beings, what they say about the cold, hard truth of the human condition that that all of us need Jesus. How many of us have curbed it because we were so concerned that it might offend or upset or even harm someone else? I was reading a book just this past week The authors are pointing out how damaging it was to one of them that they had someone tell them at a young age that they were a sinner in need of a savior. How could they have done that to me? Do you know the kind of therapy I need because they told me that when I was a kid? You know what my reply to that is? If you think that's damaging, (laughs) try making it to the end of your life thinking that you are just fine the way you are. Stand before the judgment seat of God on the other side. See how that works out for you. You could say, here I am, God. Oh, I I guess I I really am a sinner. But hey, great self-esteem, right? (laughs) Talk about damaging. Friends, far too often, we are far too 
worried about the damage we're going to do if we speak the truth, even in love, to others. What we're really doing is we're just waving. We're waving them on to something that is far more damaging, far more destructive, and something that will never end. The good news of the gospel is not just that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It necessarily involves calling people to repentance. And that's what Paul says he testified to both the Jews and the Greeks. I did it as I was in their homes. I did it not only in their homes, I did it in the public spaces as well. Repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. People need to know that they are currently living life turned upside down and turned away from God. They're living a life of rebellion against their creator. They are in such desperate need of a turnaround. They don't even know it. They need to know that the punishment that they deserve is God's unrelenting, unrestrained fury and wrath. And the rest of the evangelical world out there and, 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 and modern media and all of that, they go, well, you can't talk about it. Don't go. That is so archaic. That is so narrow-minded. That is so old Baptisty. Don't go there. It's the truth. And then they also need to know that because of God's great love toward them, he provided a way for them to be totally forgiven and totally made right with him. And it has nothing to do with penance. Nothing to do with little prayer beads. Nothing to do with donating to charity. Nothing to do with voting for the right candidate or, or, or by getting on board with the right cause. And everything to do with the sacrifice that the Son of God made on your behalf. This is the good news. We need to follow Paul's example and not shrink from this good news, especially these days. Paul exemplified authenticity, character, finally conviction, major conviction. He says in verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit is compelling me. He's, he's, he's making me go. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, everywhere I go, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only... I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It was Paul's firmly held belief that there is one thing more valuable, more precious, more worthwhile than anything else. So many people are going through life, they're trying to identify, what is that thing that I want to live for? What is the thing that's worthy of my concentration, of worthy of my focus, worthy of my devotion, worthy of my worship? And they find value in that thing that sits on four wheels in their garage. 
Do they find value in the property that they own or the diplomas that hang on their walls? They find recognition uh, and, and value in the recognition that they get from, from people or the image that they see as they stand in front of that full body mirror. For some, they look at the families that they're a part of. That's where the value is. Others, it's the children that they've raised the contribution to society that they've made. You know, some of those things, they're, they're pretty easy to see through. Others are not so much. Postmodern novelist David Foster Wallace, not, not a believer, he could see how pointless it is to hold the wrong things precious, though, or to worship something that's not worth worshiping. He puts it this way. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships, he says. The only choice we get is what to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else that you worship, well, it will eat you alive. And then he goes on to describe various things. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. You know, there was a point where Paul looked at his life and the things that he had once held very precious, that he had essentially bowed the knee to, and he came to realize that all were disappointing. All lacked value. All were false gods. Even his own life, he came to see as something, I got to hold this very, very loosely. Here in Acts 20, 24, he says that he did not account his life of any value or as precious to himself. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have any reason for living. No, no, no. On the contrary, he writes in Philippians 1, 19, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I like how Alistair Begg points out that the only way that death can be gain is if Christ is everything. That's exactly what Christ was to Paul. Is Christ everything to you? This is the example that Paul gave to the elders at Ephesus, and it's an example that he gives to us as well. He had the deeply held conviction, there's nothing more precious than to please the one who called him out of darkness and into the blinding, marvelous light. His one goal, his main focus, to finish what God had called him to do. And what was that? He says it right at the end, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Friends, what are you aiming for in life? What is it that you're seeking to do? 
Is it to be somebody in the eyes of others? Are you carefully guarding your image, shielding from view all of the flaws and all of the failings and all of the moments where, well, you can't really do anything else than but fall prostrate on the floor and, and sob your eyes out? We need to carefully consider Paul's example and be living lives of transparent authenticity as servants of the Lord. Are you hoping to get through life <laughs> without making too many waves? Just want to cruise on through. Are, are, you, are you holding back? Are, are you redacting? Are you protecting people from the truth that they need to hear? Friends, we need to pray for the strength of character to be witnesses to the whole gospel, speaking boldly, fearlessly, unashamedly the truth of God's word. Are you wavering back and forth on what it is that you hold precious in life? Maybe all of the health scares of recent days, they've left you feeling like you got to cling more tightly to life itself, trying to, to suck all of the marrow out of each and every moment, or trying to protect and prolong the little time that you think you have left. We need to share Paul's conviction that apart from knowing Jesus, in living out his will for our lives, there is nothing more valuable. May our hearts cry, our hearts cry, be the same as his. For me to live is Christ, and to die? Well, that's just gain. Our mission, you know, it's not to fix our lives. Some of us look back on our lives, we see all kinds of wounds, all kinds of damage, all kinds of roadkill. Our mission isn't to fix our lives, not to figure out what went wrong in our past. It's not to make the most of the time that we have left. Well, at least not in some ways. It's to do the only thing worth doing, and that is to worship Jesus with all that we've got and to point others to do the same. Amen? Forward for his glory and the good of his people. Let's exemplify authenticity and character and conviction as we run with perseverance the race set before us. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the example of someone whose life was clearly marked and transformed and empowered by you. Lord, Paul was not perfect, and yet, Lord, you used him in some incredible ways. And you gave him a heart that desired more than anything else to please you. Lord, we have a lot of things that are coming at us these days that are competing for our affections, our focus, our time, our money. May we see through all of that. May we look to you and see unimaginable and unending value. And may we say, we are the bondservants of Christ our king. Everything that we have, everything that we are is his. 
And as we do so, Lord, as you begin to lead us closer to yourself, refine us, shape us, and use our lives, Lord, to minister to others. By our example, Lord, may they see you in us, and may they, in turn, come before you and say, Lord, here am I. Take all of me. We love you and we thank you. We praise you for your word and the work that you have accomplished through Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org.